Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn in the back part to page number 14, and you'll be right at Matthew chapter 16. As we begin today, I want to begin by telling you a story that takes place on a passenger train. And this very stern-looking older guy gets on the train, and he moves into this train car, and in fact, he wanted to get the best seat he could get. So he was the first one who got onto the train, and he picked out the choicest of seats that he could find, and then instead of taking his bag and putting it up in the rack, he put it on the seat next to him. And over the next number of minutes, of course, people began to filter into the train until everyone in that car had occupied all of the seats. And just before the train was scheduled to leave, this very energetic young man uh, bounded aboard, and he immediately surveyed the scene, trying to find where there might be an empty seat, and he noticed that there seemed to be an empty seat over by that older guy. And so he makes a beeline for that. Well, this older guy sees him coming. And he looks at the young man rather sternly, and he says, don't you know this car is full? The seat next to me is reserved for a friend of mine. And then the young man's eyes go to the bag, and the older guy says irritably to him, he said, well, he he put his bag here. And the young man said to him, well, that's all right, I'll just wait here until he comes. Well, then, of course, the time came for the train to begin to move, and it's beginning to move down the platform. And then suddenly the young man reaches down, and he grabs the bag off of the seat, and he throws it out the window. And he says to the older guy, apparently your friend missed the train, and he mustn't lose his baggage also. It's an interesting little story, interesting little parable. That story of that selfish older guy, I think, is a parable of our culture. Because largely in our culture, we're focused on ourselves. As a culture, we tend to be interested in serving ourselves rather than serving other people. Daniel Yanklovich from New York University made this interesting statement. He said, I believe we have seen in our society a shift in social values. And he said, it's been a shift from duty, being interested in doing for other people, from duty to a self-ethic. He's really saying there's been this shift in our culture to being focused on our own needs and our own interests as the priority in our life. I was doing some reading, and I came across this research that one individual did on the pursuit of self-fulfillment, and he went through 3,000 in-depth interviews, 
and hundreds of thousands of questionnaires asking people about the pursuit of self-fulfillment in their life. And here's part of what he concluded. The search for self-fulfillment has been futile. It has resulted in people having insecurity and confusion. And then he asked this question, what is self-fulfillment? And when you find yourself, what will you do with yourself? Well, you know, some 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus foretold the futility of seeking self-fulfillment in our life. And he addresses that very thing in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. And I want you to follow along in your Bibles as I read what Jesus says here. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We are involved right now in a very short series of messages that we have entitled God's Upside Down Kingdom. And we've been pointing out the fact that our culture is out of whack. Paul describes the culture as being bent and twisted. And when we look at our culture and we look at God's kingdom, it appears that God's kingdom is upside down. But in reality, it's God's kingdom who is right side up. But the world's way of thinking is what's upside down. And we had a message last week we entitled God's Elevator where we saw that Jesus says that he who exalts himself will be humbled, that up is really down from God's perspective, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. From God's perspective, down is really up. We have entitled our message today, Finding by Losing. And the heart of the message we want to look at today is in verse 25, where Jesus says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I think we forget that we're always under a barrage of propaganda, and the world is always broadcasting propaganda our way. And part of the propaganda of the world is it says this, that lasting satisfaction and true fulfillment, if you want to really know deep satisfaction and have true fulfillment in your life, you need to pursue the five Ps. You need to pursue popularity. You need to pursue having possessions. You need to pursue pleasure. You need to pursue position and power. In fact, what the world's propaganda says to us, and it starts hammering on you even when you're in elementary school, that the key to life is getting, you know, getting popularity, having enough people who think you're wonderful, 
The key to life is in getting possessions. It's in getting pleasure. It's in getting position and power in life. That's what the world's always hammering us with. But see, God's kingdom is really upside down from that. While that is the world's propaganda, the divine proposition is different. See, God says that lasting satisfaction and true fulfillment is found in a relationship with the living God and cultivating a relationship with the living God. In fact, the divine proposition is that the key to life is losing yourself for His sake. Totally different way of thinking. Completely different. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about finding by losing. Remember, Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. And here's the plan that we have for today. It really is just going to involve two items. First of all, I just want to clarify for a few moments what Jesus means when he talks about finding by losing. And then we want to zoom in on that idea. And as we zoom in, we're going to see that there is a vertical element to finding by losing, something that relates to us and God. And there's also a horizontal element to finding by losing that relates to us and other people. So let's just try to clarify a little bit what Jesus means when he means to talk about And he does talk about finding by losing. Now, I want to just underscore one thing here that I think is important. When Jesus talks about finding by losing, the issue is not primarily an issue of eternal life. It's not primarily about initiating a relationship with Jesus. He does talk about that in verse 26 when he talks about if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. That's part of it. You have to have established a relationship with Jesus. But that's not the primary thrust of finding by losing. And it's important for us to understand that in this section of Matthew 16, that Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, his followers. Look at verse 13. It says that when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? We notice from verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. The words here are directed to the twelve disciples. In fact, Peter gets mentioned in this section in verse 16. Peter gets mentioned again in verses 22 and 23. So if you are a follower of Jesus, it's important to understand this whole idea of finding by losing is some perspective that he has for you and for me. So really, What was Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about in verse 25 when he says, for whoever wishes to save his life? I think the idea here in mind is that we seek to cling to our life, sort of to hoard our life to ourselves. 
we, we try to live our life with the central concern being me and my interests. And he's saying, whoever wishes to save his life, to live his life in that manner, will lose it. In other words, we'll discover that it's, it's hollow. There's really not life there. It lacks fulfillment. It will leave you with a sense of emptiness. And we could spend the next couple of weeks illustrating that from the lives of people in our culture. You look at some of the icons of our culture. You look at people like Michael Jackson, an icon like Marilyn Monroe, somebody like Elvis Presley. Look at those kinds of people, and we have far more contemporary people than that. And what you do is you you see people who had the five Ps, and they had them in abundance. They had popularity. They had possessions all over the place. They could readily experience as much pleasure as they could pursue. They had position of standing and, and even some power and influence in our culture. They had all the five Ps. But what happened in their life? They came into possession of all of those things. And see, some of us don't understand this because we're still pursuing those things, but they had them all. And yet they felt hollow. There was this dissatisfaction in their life. Many of them had problems even sleeping. You ever wonder why? Because the propaganda was, if you can get the five Ps, wow, you'll feel fulfilled. And they had the five Ps. And they found themselves empty despite that. Thus, it's hard to go to sleep. Because you're trying to figure out what's it really all about. Jesus says in verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Find what? True satisfaction, real fulfillment, real worth in life. Now, I'm a very practical guy. And when we talk about finding by losing, I like the principle a lot, but I want to know What's involved in losing your life? What's involved in losing your life for his sake? And so let's take a look at that. And again, there's two facets. There's a vertical facet of this in our life, and then there's a horizontal facet. Let's begin by looking at the vertical part. Finding by losing, number one, involves self-denial. Jesus said that very thing. It says in verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me to be a follower of me, he must deny himself. There needs to be self-denial. And then in verse 25, he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, not for their own sake, but for my sake, finding by losing involves self-denial. The issue really here on a vertical plane is an issue of submission. You see, when we lose our life, we are setting aside our will and 
our way for Christ's will and Christ's way. Now, that goes against our innate tendency. You see, let's just be honest. I mean, it's true for me. I know it's true for you because our innate tendency is to think that we know what's best. Our innate tendency is, I think I know how to run my life. I like what Howard Butt, a businessman, said. He said this, it is my pride that makes me independent of God. It's appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my fate, that I run my own life, call my own shots, that I go it alone. But he says that feeling is basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I can't ultimately rely on myself. I am dependent on God for my very next breath. And I like what he says here. He says, it is dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man, small, weak, limited. And here's his conclusion. So, living independent of God is self-delusion. Wow. It's true. Very, very true. Finding by losing involves self-denial. And I can still remember very clearly my first major battle that I had with denying self. Uh, It happened in the summer of my 17th year. It actually happened in upstate New York at a lake called Lake George. If you ever go there, it's beautiful, beautiful lake, crystal clear lake. And my family's just there for some vacation, but it wasn't really vacation for me. It was a battleground for me because I was really wrestling with this whole idea of finding by losing, this whole idea that finding by losing involves self-denial. And and I'll tell you, you, you might, this may not seem significant to you, but at the time, this was a big thing for me. I was really wrestling with issues that related to dating. And I knew, I've been taught enough about the Bible to know that I should limit my dating to girls who were followers of Jesus. But I had a little problem with that because I I noticed there was a lot of cute girls out there who weren't followers of Jesus. And so literally, I was wrestling with this question, what am I going to do here? And how much am I going to submit my life to the Lord? And part of that struggle was, could God really be trusted? I mean, I understand the principle that God laid out, but I mean, hey, some of these girls are pretty cool looking. Can he really be trusted? Should I really submit my will to him? And that really was a battle for me. I I could still feel the emotion of it. Am I going to set aside what I want to do for his will and his way? That's just a battle for me. And that wasn't all of it, but that was a big part of the emotional center of that. Was I going to lose my life for his sake? And the key, of course, was setting aside my will for his will. And you know, you know what the key to that is? The key to setting aside our will for his will? The key to that is understanding God's character. 
When we understand the character of God, that is half the battle. Because, you see, when we understand his character, we know that he can be trusted. That he can be trusted. That wasn't the only battle I ever had, but that was a big sort of watershed moment in my life. I was 17 years old then. I'm now 61. And it's been a repeated desire of mine to find my life by losing it. And part of that involves self-denial. And so you have all those years since 17. And I want you to know that as I've made various choices over time, my life has been far from empty and unfulfilled. Now, I've also had a lot of difficulty in my life. Don't get me wrong. I've had a battle through cancer. I went through an era where we had three teenagers in the house at one time. I've known my whole, I've had a good complement of relational conflicts that have gone on. It's not like everything's been just smooth sailing. But I want you to know as I stand here today, I can tell you that I have known fulfillment and the self-denial that I've done of setting aside my will for his will. I have no regrets. And I want you to know that I can say to you today, he can be trusted. Finding by losing involves self-denial. Let me ask you this question. Are, just freeze frame where you are right now. Are you trusting him right now? Are you letting him lead you? Are you saying to him, I want your will, not my will. Is his will, not yours, a priority in your life? Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. So finding by losing involves, first of all, self-denial. Secondly, and this is the horizontal part of finding by losing, finding by losing involves serving other people. Notice in verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, to follow me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It means to live our life the same way that Jesus lived his life. And he sought first to follow the will of the Father. And then as he's following the will of the Father, he was serving other people. And that's what it means to be finding by losing, to be serving other people. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man did not come to this planet to be served by other people. He could have. He didn't come for that. What did he come for? What does it say? He came to serve. Serve who? People like you and me. Now remember our, our, our innate tendency. The innate tendency is to be focused on me, myself, and I. To have that kind of a mindset. And that's what the world is exporting our way. But a life wrapped up in itself makes for a very small package. And if we choose to save my life, 
You know, to have the me, myself, and I mentality, to hoard my life, to cling to my life, to have the primary concern being me and pursuing my interests, you know what? We're going to experience hollowness in our life. Yes, that can even happen to followers of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that sometimes we find ourselves unhappy, we're worrying a lot, we feel unfulfilled, even times where we feel like our prayer life is a dud? Why is that? Well, often it's because, just be honest, we're caught up in ourselves. We're concerned about our wants. We're concerned about our needs. We're concerned about our interests. I read a very interesting story that occurred just after World War II had started. It's a story that a Scottish pastor tells. He says that he knew of some mental hospitals in both England and Scotland that had to close because of the lack of patience soon after World War II broke out. Here's what he said. He said, opportunities to help others, such as in air raids, cured these people who were in mental hospitals before the war started. He he, he pointed out a woman in the basement of a church which served as an air raid shelter in Red Cross Depot, and he said, notice that woman over there wearing the uniform of a volunteer nurse. Two years ago, she was an invalid and a problem to herself and everyone else. He said, you ought to observe her now. When the siren sounds, instantly she's on the job, often working all night long, caring for the injured and dying. And everyone loves her. Isn't that fascinating? Finding ourselves by losing involves serving other people. You know, in his book, Loving God, Chuck Colson, who's now home with the Lord, tells a story of Murty Howell. And he first heard about Murty Howell from an inmate in a New Hampshire prison when this inmate wrote to Colson to ask those at Prison Fellowship headquarters to join in praying for Murty's health. And what had happened is that Prison Fellowship had previously matched this man and Mrs. Howell up as pen pals, he said, something that we do with thousands of inmates and volunteers. The inmate had written, please pray for Grandma Howell in his childlike scrawl, because she's sick and maybe going to die. No one has ever loved me like she has. I just wait for her letters. They mean so much to me. Later on, Murdy had actually begun to write Colson himself, and she would report to him about how things were going with her boys, and she would also include an offering that she would give to Prison Fellowship, even though she was on very limited Social Security checks. And then Colson said, you know, we're going to have a Prison Fellowship meeting in Columbus, Georgia. I'm going to write Murdy and see if she can come, and I'd like to meet her face to face. Well, Murdy was unable to attend because she couldn't move without her walker and she wasn't really authorized to leave the nursing home. So Colson had the idea, you know what, I'm going to go and meet Murdy Howell myself. And he writes that he found her in an old soot-covered brick building. 
And as he went into the building, he says the atmosphere was depressing. No hopeful expressions or pleasant banter, no youthful voices, but instead rows of wheelchairs lined in front of a blaring TV, bodies hunched on pea soup green plastic couches, dozing or staring blankly ahead. And she said, as I opened Murdy's unlocked door, I was greeted by a broad, welcoming smile as Murdy leaned back in her rocker with satisfaction, her white, fleecy hair neatly parted at the side, her blue eyes sparkled behind thick, black-rimmed spectacles, and her cheeks glowed with life. This woman is not preparing to die, I thought. It contained a bed, a 12-inch television set, a dresser, a mirror, the two chairs that we sat in and a fragile desk crowded with Bibles and commentaries and piled high with correspondence. Photographs lined the edges of the mirror hanging just above the desk. And Colson said, I'd seen prison cells with more amenities than this room. And I, I started to thank her for her faithful ministry, but before I could really finish my sentence, Murdy waved her hand and started grinning again and interrupted with a protest. Oh, no, no, you've helped me. These last years have been the most fulfilling of my whole life. I thank you, and most of all, I thank Jesus. And the last word was pronounced with great reverence. She went on, he says, to tell me how depressed with the death of her husband and the loss of her home and the declining health of her oldest son, that she had suddenly began to feel the call of God to write to prisoners. So she wrote her first letter, addressed simply, Atlanta Penitentiary, Atlanta, Georgia. And that letter said, Dear inmate, I am a grandmother who love and care for you who are in a place you had not plans to be. My love and sympathy goes out to you. I am willing to be a friend to you and correspondent. If you like to hear from me, write me, and I will answer every letter you write. And it was signed a Christian friend, Grandmother Howell. And she went on to correspond with hundreds of inmates, up to 40 at a time, being a one-woman ministry reaching into prisons all over America. Bless you, Murdy, Colson said. Her reply, oh, the Lord has just blessed me so wonderful, Mr. Colson. I've had the greatest time of my life since I have been writing to prisoners. And Murdy, he goes on to say, told me how she spends her days. She doesn't do much of anything but write to prisoners. She reads and studies the Bible some. She prays. She watches a few religious programs on TV and then is carried to and from the common dining room where she takes her meals. And Murdy insisted that time passed faster and more joyously for her now than it ever did before in her life. And he goes on to write, As our time together drew to a close, Murdy gave me a final bit of advice. So now, Mr. Colson, you just keep remembering the Lord don't need no quitters. Once in a while, old Satan tells me I'm getting too old. I don't remember things good. I have to agree with him there. But we mustn't listen to him. And Colson goes on to say, on the way out, he was again overwhelmed by the sad scene that he saw. 
sunken eyes of other residents reflecting depression, despair, emptiness, and anger at the loved ones who had deserted them and at a cruel fate that had left them helpless just sitting and waiting for their meaningless existence to be swallowed up in darkness. Meanwhile, upstairs sat Mertie Howell with her wide 91-year-old grin of joy and triumph, ready to live, ready to die. And he thought by now she was probably back at her desk writing to prisoners. Who are you serving? Jesus said, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Finding by losing involves self-denial. Finding by losing involves serving others. Now that's the message. The important question is, what practical life steps can we take to cultivate self-denial in our life and serving others in our life? I want to give you a couple of tips. These are the important things you want to write these down. These are the action steps that we can all take. First of all, since finding by losing involves self-denial, here's the first tip. Focus on God's character because He can be trusted. You see, when we really see who God is, it's not that hard to trust Him, to set aside my will for His will. And we need to focus on God's character. Let me give you a couple of passages you can look at maybe this week and study a little bit that talk about the character of God. Psalm 103 would be one of them. Psalm 139 is another one. Spend some time in Psalm 103, Psalm 139, because it talks about the character of God. And when we see the character of God, it's much easier to trust Him and self-deny ourselves. If you want to focus on God's character, a good way to do that is to be studying the attributes of God. And I want to give you several books that that are out there that I think are real helpful in studying the attributes of God. I'm going to give you the titles, and you can jot these down and maybe get a hold of one or more of them. The first one is Our God is Awesome by Tony Evans, where he just talks about the practical attributes of God. A second book that I really like is called Made in Our Image. It's by Stephen Lawson. And the first part of the book talks about the distortion of God in our culture. The second part of the book talks about the essence of God and His attributes. Very practical book. And then a third way to study the attributes of God is a classic one called The Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer. But if we're going to just develop in the area of self-denial, the first tip is to focus on God's character. The second tip I would give is to check in daily with God. What a radical thought that we would just check in with Him daily. God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? Uh, What do you want me to be focused on today? How can I have your mind today? How can I follow you today? Check in daily with Him. And then when it comes to serving others, the first was that horizontal part, rather the vertical part. This is the horizontal part, serving other people. Here's the first tip. Develop an eye for ministry. An eye for ministry. 
You know, instead of a me, myself, I mindset, developing a ministry mindset. Rather than just going through our day thinking about, I wonder who could serve me or who's going to do this for me. And in, in other words, turn it around and say, well, wait a minute, how does God want me to use my life to minister to other people? And when we talk about serving other people, I'll tell you, you know, some of the greatest examples of that are people who are moms. You want to talk about denying your own will and turning around and serving other people. And if you're a mom, I just want you to know I'm a big fan of yours because you are setting aside your will and serving other people. And I just want you to be encouraged if you're a mom. And and by the way, if you're a mom and you haven't yet been here, there's a wonderful blog that is out there called momlifetoday.com momlifetoday.com. And there's moms on there from every different, you know, era of momhood and all kinds of moms who have different situations going. Some of them have adopted kids, you know, all kinds of things. It's a wonderful source to get some encouragement as as moms. Momlifetoday.com. Develop an eye for ministry. Instead of a me, myself, I mindset, develop a ministry mindset. And I might just say, don't forget about Murdy here. You see, it requires no special abilities or advanced degrees at all to serve other people. And God wants us to do that. He wants us to to minister to people with our money. He wants us to minister to people with our time and our energy. He wants to minister to people with our words. And there's all kinds of opportunities even inside Wildwood to serve people. Just look for them. They're there. And and there's opportunities outside of Wildwood to do that. So the first tip is to develop an eye for ministry. The second tip is to take the initiative. A couple things happen. We we have this tendency to sit back and wait for others to minister to me. I wonder who's going to minister to me. Who's going to serve me? Who's going to encourage me? Another tendency we have is that we see needs, but then we hesitate. Now, we can't meet all of the needs. But if we're really going to serve other people, we need to learn to take the initiative. St. Francis of Assisi wrote this. He says, Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand rather than to be understood, to love rather than to be loved. And then he said this, for it is by forgetting self that one finds life. I suspicion that he was familiar with Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25, where Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. When I was growing up, there was this common saying, it said, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. God says something a little different. God says, savers, losers, losers, finders. 
And the end, at the end of our life, a little closer for me than it is for some of us, but at the end of our life, are we going to be like the majority in the nursing home? Or are we going to be like Murdy Howell? And the choice begins today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much again for your word. And, and we thank you that Jesus has given us such important information that is so different from our culture's way of thinking. And the first part of finding by losing involves this vertical dimension. And, and Lord, we recognize that that vertical dimension begins for people in establishing a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, in understanding that he came to this planet and bled and died for them and gave up his life so that we could have forgiveness. And if there are any who are hearing my words who've never made that life choice to put their trust in what Christ did for them, may they do that and may they find themselves beginning a relationship with the living God. For those of us who know you, Father, part of finding by losing is this idea of, of self-denial. And the truth is that at times we still want to run our life. And maybe that's true of some of us. Just even the last couple of weeks, we've been sucked into the five Ps again. May we simply just confess to you that we've been off the course. And may we in a fresh way let you be in charge of our life again. And Father, for those of us who want to find by losing, we need to take some attention to this idea of serving other people. Maybe we've been just so busy running around doing everything else, we haven't been imitating and following in Jesus' footsteps in that area. Maybe we've been serving, but the truth has been that we're getting discouraged and we're thinking about we're on the verge of quitting. May we remember what Murdy said. The Lord don't need no quitters. May we honor you with the way we choose to live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.